You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. How many of you would like to have a little more life in your life, a little more fire in your life, a little more energy in your life, a little more power of God in your life? Anybody in here would like a little bit more of that? I would too. On the flip side, let's be honest. I need some honesty in the room. You guys ready to be honest? How many of you have ever thought privately to yourself that God's going to give up on you? Come on, be honest. Okay, I'm not the only one good. How many of you have ever felt like you've wondered if maybe, just maybe, God disowned you? Come on, be honest. If you said ever felt like that, right? How many of you have ever wondered, just an outside thought, you wonder, I wonder if I've committed the unforgivable sin? And you're not quite sure what that is, but you've wondered, maybe you've committed the unforgivable sin. Okay, well, we have all these questions like, God, do you love me? Are you going to, am I going to make it till the end? Am I going to be resilient enough until the end to make it all the way through? How do I know? How do I know if I'm going to have the power of God in me? And, and if you're that kind of person who's thought those things, then you're in exactly the right place. Uh, a couple months ago, a person came to Sun Grove Church and they tagged Sun Grove Church in their feed on Facebook, and so it showed up in Sun Grove Church's feed. And I love what this gal said. She said, well, I walked into the church today, and the place didn't burn down. And I love that. Like, if you're that person, this is exactly the right place where you need to be to explore God. This is exactly the right place you need to be to come into a room like this and find out we are not all perfect people. The only perfection we have is in Jesus Christ. That this is the place where you can explore faith, where you can explore God, where you can explore and understand the meaning of your life so that you can gain understanding for your life, for your circumstances, for what's going on in the world around you. And we're glad that you're here today. Here's why you need this sermon. I want God to strengthen you today. And I want him to encourage you to hold fast and stay true to the faith. To remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there are times in your life you're going to be tried and tested and tempted. And in those times, sometimes you're going to win. Sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes you're going to pass. And other times you're going to just get weary. But in those times, God uses those to build spiritual muscle. That's not God saying, oh, I tested you. You failed. I'm giving up. I'm disowning. You've committed the unforgivable sin. That's not how, what God thinks. In fact, Paul's hope, as he writes to Timothy, is that Timothy would grow his trust in the Lord to make it through impossible situations, to make it through really tough circumstances, and to make it through his huge responsibilities in the life that he faced. And that's my prayer for you, that today you'd be strengthened and encouraged in your responsibilities, you be strengthened and encouraged in the tough situations that you're facing, the tough circumstances, and you be strengthened and encouraged in the impossible situation that you might be facing right now. That's my prayer for you. True Christ followers, those who would say, I actually am going to follow Jesus. Not just I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to follow him. I'm really going to, as my life, be a follower. The only way that a person like that makes it through life to the very end is by the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. That when they're down and when they're stuck in the mud and stuck in when they feel like I'm stuck, I'm stuck with me, I'm stuck with my circumstances, I'm stuck with everything else around me, the only way that they hold true to the faith when they've stumbled and fallen, when they've made a mistake, when they're saying maybe God wants to disown me, the only way that they make it is by the power of God's Holy Spirit that he chose you. But what happens, a lot of times in our own power, we fail a temptation, and like Peter, we 
run away. We weep. We redefine our identity, who we are. Like Peter, he denied Christ three times in one evening, and Jesus predicted it, and he still did it. But then he runs away, and he weeps, and he says, well, my new identity must be my old identity. I was a fisherman before. I'm going to go back to catching fish. And then he has an encounter with God. And that in the encounter of God, God reminds him of his new identity in Christ. And he's newly and freshly aware of the power of God, that God chose him. It's not that Peter chose God, but that God chose him and has raised him up to actually build the church in many ways upon the life and the ministry that Peter's going to preach even at the day of Pentecost. He's not destined for the scrap heap. He hasn't committed the unpardonable sin. But that God's choice for him reminds him of his identity. And the same is true for you and me. There are times you and I wander. Times you and I fall. Times you and I fail. But God brings us back. You then, the only way as a believer you make it through a lifetime is that you have an encounter with the living God again. And he reminds you again of your assignment, of your identity. He puts you in a new place, a new position that he has forgiven your sin. And he raises you up out of the mud. He raises you up out of the place you're stuck. And you continue on. That's because... You have an encounter with the living God. God's Holy Spirit makes us bold again to carry on and train like an athlete. Bold again to carry on and and obey like a soldier, obeying and trying to please his commander, being a Christ follower. But the enemy tells you in those moments to quit. Just stop. Look at you. Stop going to church. Stop doing what you need to. God's probably given up on you. And the accuser fills our heads and our hearts with lies. My hope today is that you are strengthened and encouraged that you truly understand how life works. And so we're going to see today, we're going to see if you get, if you grasp the way of understanding. If you have a Bible, open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul again is writing from prison to Timothy, this young protege, this pastor, and he's giving him some final instructions because Paul knows his time on earth is short. And this is what he writes. He says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 1, you then, my son, help me out here, be what? Strong. Everybody, right? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You might read that and you might think that Paul is telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, man up. Hey, Timothy, um, get your motivation going. Be strong. Make yourself a better person. Come on, Timothy. Like, make it. We want you to last. And he's saying being strong. But it's not exactly what he says. If you go back and read that again, it says be strong in the what? In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, how do you know if you're strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus? Sometimes it's hard to know. I'll tell you what, you'll know better if you're not strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. Let me help you understand why. If you're not strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, will you forgive yourself? If you're weak in the grace that's in Christ Jesus and you stumble and fall and fail, will you forgive yourself? Probably not. If you're weak in the grace that's in Christ Jesus and you see someone living a life opposite of Jesus... Will you judge that person probably pretty harshly? Yes, you will. You might be strong in theology and weak in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. You'll know you're weak in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Will you find it easy to forgive the vices and follies of others and their offenses against you? Probably not. 
will you get up and walk again? If you've been weak in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Well, Paul's writing to a pastor, and guess what? Pastors aren't perfect. And he's writing to one and saying, listen, Timothy, don't get away from the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Don't get away from the depth of the gospel, but also the simplicity of the gospel. Don't get away from the good news of Christ Jesus, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's given him the pattern of that grace, but he wants him to also be strong in it as he applies it to himself and applies it to other people. That he hold the tension between grace and truth. He's going to hold the both. There's going to be a tension between the two. But he doesn't want him to go all strong in theology and truth and be weak on grace. He's saying being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul's going to remind you and I to train like an athlete. He's going to remind you and I to obey like a soldier, staying on mission with their commander. He's going to teach us what weapons we have access to versus the ones we usually try to reach to that don't actually work. And he's going to teach us how to engage in the battle. And so if you have your outline today, I'm going to begin to read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 through 7. Read along with me just as you see the screen. It says, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering. Again, the second time he said this, right? Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Now, you might read this and think that Paul is ADHD. Right? He starts talking about, oh, be like an athlete, be like a farmer, be like a soldier. And like, like oh, by the way, I don't have time to like draw it out and explain it, just the Lord will give you insight. He's like, well, I just got shotgunned with all sorts of information. What's really going on there? No, that's not what's happening. He's being very intentional in the... Paul is going to give four key phrases for you and I to begin to understand the way of understanding. So the first one he gives in your outline is what you have heard me say. He says, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So you got to say, well, where would Paul, I mean, where would Timothy get what Paul is saying? Well, Paul's writing a letter. He's writing from prison. So the things he has in the past heard him say, but also the letters that have gone around to the various churches, including Paul's last letter here to, second, in, to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, he's saying, listen, I want you to go ahead and read those things. But he doesn't just mean read those things, because Paul's going to get place you and I get the things that Paul has said is the Bible, that the Bible is the source of understanding. And you need to realize this for a second. That God's word is the source. You say, I want to understand my life better. I want to understand my world better. I want to understand people better. And I want to understand relationships better. And I want to understand financial principles better. I want to understand how things operate and how things should go. I want to understand what the future holds. I want to understand these things. And the way that you do that, you got to realize to go to the place of understanding, you've got to go to the source of understanding. And the source of understanding is God's word. So Paul says, I want you to understand what I've said. The things that you've heard me say, the things obviously you're now reading, you're going to entrust to reliable people who will also teach them to others. Well, what was, let's apply this. What was Paul commanding in verse 1 of chapter 2? Be strong in the grace 
that's in Christ Jesus. The grace that's in Christ Jesus not only reminds us that our sins can be forgiven, but the grace that's in Christ Jesus also reminds you and I to say no, to say heck no to sin. And that's not an easy thing to do, is it? Anybody else here struggle with saying no to sin? Right, all over the room, right? Lots of us. We'd say a lot of us. We all struggle. If we didn't struggle in saying no to sin, we'd all be perfect. We wouldn't need Jesus. But we do, right? Now, let's just remove for a moment the Holy Spirit. Let's remove for a moment just, let's say you on your own, by your own willpower and compulsion, we're trying to change to be a better person. Well, the first thing you would do is this. you got to realize that there's some conditions that are actually true of all people. If you're going to try and be a better person, you're going to try and be, say no to things that are sinful, well, you got to realize that it takes 2% effort to say no to a thought about sin. A thought enters your mind. To capture it, it only takes 2% effort. That's it. That means 98% of the time you're like, I don't think that. How many of you think crazy thoughts? Right? You're, you're driving along, and you see a person on a bicycle nearby, have you ever just thought about, like, what would it be like to just do that, right? No, it'd be horrible. I've just heard people think those kind of things. I would never myself. Now, being honest here, we have crazy thoughts. But if you had a bad thought and you're like, no, I shouldn't do that, it only takes 2% effort if you capture that thought and make it obedient to Christ. Only 2%. It means 98% of the time you're going to be good. But it takes 10% effort to say no to sin, once you've told another person, let's say you have a secret thought on the inside, but then you let it out. You tell your spouse, you tell someone else, you tell an accountability partner, a sponsor, you tell a fellow believer. Once you let whatever's going on in the darkness out and you tell somebody else, then it still only takes, once you've told somebody, then it takes 10%. So about 90% of the time, you're still going to be able to be pretty good and be successful. But it takes 90% effort to succeed in saying no to something wrong once you've begun or moved toward or begun to act on sin. Once you begin to plan it out, once you begin to act on it, once you begin to drive there, once you begin to do those things, it takes 90% effort, which means you're only going to succeed 10% of the time. And then when you give in to sin, the Bible says that sin entangles you. It captures you. You are carried along by sin. You are taken prisoner by sin. You are led away by sin, James tells us. Paul writes here that you and I should be like a soldier, and a soldier shouldn't get entangled in civilian affairs. And he's not really talking about the armed forces. What he's talking about is the distinction between a believer who has the Holy Spirit and a person in the world who just does things the world's way, according to the world's understanding, the world's wisdom. And what he's saying is this, that a believer in Jesus Christ, a Christ follower, shouldn't get entangled in doing life, doing things just the world's way. And some of you along the way have gotten entangled, and you know it. You know that you've entangled and enmeshed your life according to the world's wisdom, the world's way of understanding. And at times it has entangled you. But Paul is saying to Timothy, the more you walk in the power of God's Holy Spirit, you begin to resist sin. I mean, let's be honest, right? It's really tough to talk yourself out of alcohol dependency if that's an issue for you if you're parked in your car outside Bethmo. Right? Depending on what's an issue for you, you're going to have to say, to say no to sin, there's certain parking lots I don't go in. 
There's certain streets I don't drive down. There's certain things that I don't do because if I get in that parking lot, if I sit in front of that store, it, then it's, about, it's going to take 90% effort to say no, and that means about only 10% of the time would I succeed. If you're trying to not lust in your life, you want to pursue sexual purity, and you're trying to do that on your own, it's going to take 90% effort to do it and succeed on your own. You're only going to succeed 10% of the time. But if you tell a trusted brother or sister, you tell someone, and you begin to walk with them through some accountability, you get in some area that helps you restore from that and go into recovery for that, you'll succeed far, far more. I read this week in regarding to lust, it said, fighting lust on your own is like pu uh, pulling harder on a noose that's already around your neck. So like trying to do like try harder and do better, I want to try harder, do better, not fall this way the next time. It's like trying to, you're just pulling harder on a noose that's already around your neck. You need some friends to come along and help give you the tools and the skills and the accountability to help take that thing off your neck so you're not being entangled by civilian affairs. Listen, if you could, could have controlled it on your own, you would have done so a long time ago. Right? It's really hard to stop gossip when you're in a conversation where somebody starts character assassinating someone who's there to not defend themselves. Like maybe you start telling the story about someone and they're not there to defend themselves. It's really hard once you started to stop. It's going to take 90% effort. But it only takes 2% effort for you to say, even in the middle of your story, to stop yourself by saying something positive about the person who's not there to defend themselves. You can turn the conversation. If someone else starts a conversation and they're right, running right into it, the gossip conversation, it only takes 2% effort on your behalf to be able to say something positive about the person who's not there and about whose character is about able to be assassinated, right? Only about 2% effort to turn that conversation. We are not ill-equipped. It's just that we need God's help, the power of the Holy Spirit, to make our life on fire. It's not just try harder, do better. It's understanding that we have the source of understanding God's word that enables us to succeed in many areas. Well, how does utilizing the power of God's word and the help of the Holy Spirit actually make a difference? And what I want to point out to you is that we're talking about the power of God. When you hear what we're talking about today, most often you think this is based on the power of me in your life, and then you're like, it's not that powerful. You have a whole lifetime of history with you, and you know how you operate. But what I want to talk about today is that this is not just you. This is the power of God coming alongside you to help you become the person that God wants you to be, to become conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. That is God's choice in your life. He chose you. You didn't choose you. He chose you. And God is not threatened by you. Let me say that again. In fact, let me go over here. I don't think this side of the room got that. Let me try over here. Listen to me. God is not threatened by you. Are you following what I'm saying? I don't think you get it. Let me go over here. God is not threatened by you. Are you following what I'm saying? No, there's no feedback here. Come on. you guys. You, people got to learn how to talk in church, right? God is not threatened by you. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Let me try it over here. I think they're getting it. They're getting warmed up. God is not threatened by you. Isn't that good news? Amen. Right, that's good news. Here's my point. Listen to me. God is not threatened when you're defeated. 
And some of you walked in here today defeated. Some of you walked in here today discouraged. Some of you walked in here today and you just feel like you don't have it left in you. And I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else, God is not threatened by that. He's not scared by it. He's not going to disown you. God is not threatened when you're defeated. God is not threatened when you're discouraged. God is not threatened when you're denying him. God is not threatened when you're doubtful. And God is not threatened when you're downright, uh, when you're downright dumbfounded. Hardly get the word out myself. When you don't know, you're like, I don't have any understanding where to go in my life. I don't have any understanding in my life where to be. And God's saying, listen, I am not threatened by that. I am not threatened by you. I love you. And there's power available to you through my Holy Spirit when all those things are the camp. But we have to understand, if we want to understand the power of God, if we want to grasp the way of understanding, if we want to see it, the way of understanding we've got to go to the source and the source is the bible but it's not just going to the source we've got to do the next thing number two on your outline he said reflect on all this reflect on all this that's the means of understanding so you go to the source the bible but then he says reflect on all this that's the means of understanding what paul said to timothy in timothy 2 7 reflect on what i'm saying for the lord will give you insight into all this so the source is the Bible, but then what do we do with the Bible? We reflect on the Bible. Did Paul say to Timothy, hey, Timothy, just read what I'm saying? No, because he sent him a letter. Of course he's reading it. But is he saying just read this one time and then pass it on to everybody else? No. See, there's a difference between reading and reflecting. If you read a policy that you don't care much about and really doesn't have any importance in your life, you'll just skim that thing. You, don't care. you, you might read it, but that's it. If you read a love letter, you read a text from somebody that you think is the hottest person in the world, you get a card on Valentine's Day, you're going to read that thing. You're going to reflect on it. You're not just going to read it and be like, that's great, throw it in a drawer. You're going to reflect on it. What, what's, how, where's our relationship at? How much do they love me? What do they love about me? You're, gonna, you're really going to reflect on it. There's a big difference in that. Well, how is reflecting different than reading? You realize every day the moon reflects the sun. Somewhere in the world. Every day the waters and the ground and the plants and you and I reflect the sunlight every single day on a cyclical pattern. It's, it wasn't a one time. Hey, remember that one time that the moon reflected the sun? That would be the difference of just reading. Some of you are like, I did. I read the Bible once. Great. That's like, remember that one time the moon reflected the sun? Good luck with that. Your memory's going to grow real dim. But he's saying reflect on this. There's a natural pattern that happens to it. So listen, how do you reflect on the scriptures? You reflect on the scriptures. When I read, I'm going to think about them. When I read, I'm going to maybe draw them. I'm going to journal them. If some of you are good with words and you like writing, some of you are going to meditate on them. I want to memorize it. I want to think on it. I want to reflect on the very words of the Bible. Some of you in this room, you are musical and you will memorize parts of the scripture Far better if you make a song to it than if you simply were to just read the scriptures. See, the source is the Bible, but what you and I are instructed to do is to actually 
reflect it, to understand the means by which you and I read the Bible, the means by which we get the Bible and understand it is that we reflect on it. Now, some of you in here are very artistic. How many of you in here are like me and you cannot draw a lick? Okay, you're just horrible. Okay, how many of you are actually pretty artistic in here? Come on, be honest. Don't be modest. You're actually pretty good, all right? Well, this week I just asked people, okay, which ones of you draw in your Bible? And, uh, and I just said, come on, show me your art. And people started putting art up with permission to be able to show you some of it today. So here's some, let me show you some things on the screen here. So this says, set your minds on the things above. This is Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Here's a person writing in their Bible. Do you think that this person's going to reflect on and understand that passage more than the person just simply reads it? Absolutely. Their heart is always going to have an attachment to that, isn't it? Let's go to the next one. This is a person writing in their journal, not even in their Bible, but based on what they've read it, they're saying, this is Jesus speaking, saying, my house shall be a house of prayer. See the person praying? Not a den of robbers. You got coins or whatever flying around, right? In Luke 19, they're going to understand that far different. Somebody else writes, the Lord is my rock and my shield. Right? They're going to understand this. Some of you in this room are like, oh my goodness, I have trouble even just underlining anything in the Bible. <laughs> Some of you in this room are like, I hit highlight on my app, but it's not like that. Like, and hitting highlight doesn't mean that you reflected on it. It means you might look later on and go, I highlighted that. Good job. Right? But these people are reflecting. What else do we have? There's more. Okay, so here, uh, you are the light of the world. The town built on a hill cannot be hidden. This person's interacting with the scripture. They're reflecting on it. Go to the next. Right? God is love. Look at that. It's just awesome. There's like all these little loves, these hearts just bubbling out over, over that jar. Go to the next one. Endless hope. This person, whoever made this one, they will never have trouble finding that page in their Bible. Right? It's bright. It's out there. It's great. Go ahead to the next one. Be still and know that I am God. They're coming to the Psalms and they're going to interact with the Psalms and understand the presence of God in just an artistic way drawing that. What else? We've got this one here on the, uh, I think this is in Luke. Yes, the shepherds in Luke. So they're, again, they're interacting with the Christmas story, the coming of Christ. Go to the next one. All right, Psalms, Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. The wicked are like chaff that get blown away. You see how it's illustrated there? You see how it's being poured out? Go to the next one. Psalm 23. Lord's my shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside quiet waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? See, somebody's going to use their means of reflecting in the Bible, and they're going to get what the Bible means. Let me ask, what's your means of reflecting? Might be art, might be music, might be memorization, might be the spoken word. What are your means of it? Some of you are going to journal, you're going to think deeply, some of you are going to blog. But what is the way that you're reflecting the scriptures? Reflect on them. These people who do stuff like that, and I can't draw like that. People who do that, they will treasure those passages more highly than others. Why? Because they reflected on them. Are you reflecting on the word of God? 
So Timothy says, reflect on what I'm saying. But then he gives a follow-up to that, and he says this, the Lord will give you insight. So the source is the Bible, the means of reflecting, but then the result of understanding is that God's going to be your teacher. God's going to give you insight into this. As you reflect on the Bible, God's going to awaken your heart, your head, in the way that leads you in the way of understanding so that you can know what the Word of God is saying to you. Some of you are like, I've read, but I just don't get the Bible. You know what? It's because you read. You didn't reflect at all. You skimmed. You read through it, but there was no reflection. And so Paul is saying, listen, this is the way that Bible is the source, but reflect on it. That's the means of understanding. The Lord will give you insight is the result of understanding. You are blessed to be a blessing. So we're to pass on to others, Paul says, the truth that we ourselves have received as we reflected on the word of God. Do you realize that there is no other apostolic transition in scripture apart from reliable te- people mentoring and teaching regular people who will turn around and teach other people. Paul was an apostle. And he could have said, Timothy, you're my favorite. Of all the other people in the world, you're my favorite. And I want to transfer my apostleship to you. Because you're my favorite. And then there would be an apostle Timothy. Which there's not. The only model of apostolic transition we see in scripture. Is reliable people teaching other reliable people the word of God from the source as it's been reflected, as it's been tested, as the Lord gives you insight to other people who turn around and mentor and inspire the people. That's why we say at Sun Grove Church, we don't just come on the weekend and let me do a lot of reflecting during the week so that you can gain some understanding during the sermon, but rather that as we sit here, we understand, but we've also got to get in circles during the week. And some of you in this room, you're like, how do I reflect on the scriptures? How do I understand them deeper? How am I going to grow? And some of you are phenomenal because you're saying, I took a risk to host a circle. So you have people in that, a circle group that comes to your house during the week or your apartment, your dorm room, or your workplace, and you gather up with other people and you say, you know what, I've been, I've been looking at the material that got sent to me or that the church provided and here's what I'm thinking and other people study it. And guess what? You begin to encourage one another. You begin to reflect with one another. You begin to grow together and encourage one another to remain true to the faith and you're mentoring and teaching and encouraging and strengthening one another. Some of you are going to grow phenomenally this year because you're saying, we're willing to host a group. I'm willing to host a circle group. And that's why we encourage everybody in church, don't just be in rows. We grow more when we're in circles. We need each other. So what happens? This is just ordinary people doing extraordinary things together wherever they are. That's what happens in circles. That's what happens as people begin to reflect on the word of God. That God will give you, God's Holy Spirit will give you insight into all this. The very words of the Bible are inspired by God not just the concepts. Last week we talked about, are you a conceptual follower of Jesus Christ or are you becoming more and more a fully devoted Christ follower, right? The concept is, oh, I believe in prayer. The following is, I pray. There's a big difference. Some people just believe the concept. Well, just give me, give me the concepts. Give me the concepts of the Bible. Then I can decide if I want to believe those and follow those or do those or not. There's a big difference between a conceptual follower of Christ and a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Paul rather, goes on and says, remember Jesus Christ. 
This is the ongoing practice of understanding. He said it this way in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. He's saying, I'm chained, but the word of God isn't. But he starts off by saying, remember Jesus Christ. Do you think Paul wrote, remember Jesus Christ to Timothy, because Timothy was going to forget Jesus? No. Timothy wasn't like, oh yeah, Jesus. That's not what happened. He wasn't worried about him forgetting Jesus. He was writing because he wanted him to have that ongoing practice that your life, your theology, your walk is remembering the depth, uh, depth is this way, of the gospel, but also the simplicity of it. Remember Jesus, God's big picture plan, that you and I were created in a perfect world and perfect relationship with God that the temptation came along and people sinned. And God said anyone born of Adam and Eve are now born into a sinful environment with a sin nature and just in themselves. And so everybody has a sin problem, a sin problem condemning them to death, but I love people so much that when I created heaven, I couldn't imagine not having you there with me in perfect relationship. But we've got to take care of this sin problem. So we had Jesus descend through the heritage of the Jewish people. Come, God become flesh to earth, lived a perfect life, then traded his perfect life for all the sin of the world, yours and mine, and hung on that cross and paid for it in full. Then he was dead and buried. But in the power of God, he conquered death, came back from the dead, brought himself to new life. That is, he come back to to prove to us that we too, when the day comes, when we die as a result, by the way, of sin, that when we die, we will rise, that Jesus overcomes death, that we can have access to God, that we can be unashamed before God, that we can walk with him if we've put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross as the way of salvation. Remember Jesus. Remember his suffering. Remember his heritage, his identity, that it was God become flesh. Listen, you might have tough circumstances. You might have external opposition against you. You might have chains in your life, but God's word is not chained. And Paul's saying, don't get away from the gospel. Don't get away from God's word. Don't try to be saved by any other means, but by Jesus. Remember, in an ongoing practice way, remember Jesus Christ. And then the beautiful thing he says is God's word isn't chained. This week, Fox News reported on May 1st of uh, this week that Mark Holden, I'll put his picture up here, this guy is a 22-year-old history major at Northern Arizona University. Uh, He shows up at class, before class, and he's sitting in the lecture hall and he's reading his Bible. Well, his teacher comes in and she gets triggered by seeing him read his Bible and tells him he's got to go, he's got to leave the classroom to do that. You can't read your Bible in here. You can't read a book that is true history in a history class. And she tells him to get out, but he won't go. So she calls the dean to come and tell him to leave. So the dean comes and the dean is making appeals. And at that point, this young man, 20 year old, he starts recording the conversation. And so here the dean is trying to convince him that you cannot read on your own time before class has even started in a class you're paying for a historical book which happens to be the source of understanding the word of God. 
And the summary of the article was, well, I guess if our educational institutions get away from a source of understanding, then we've gotten far away from understanding at all. Here's the point. Some of you, in the environment, the business, the industry, the educational place you live, you've got chains, and they're not physical chains, but they're put on you, particularly in regard to the Word of God. And I want to remind you that you might have chains on you like Paul had chains on him, but the Word of God is not chained. And one of the ways that you and I take the Word of God into the environments in which we work and we operate and we govern in those areas is that you take the Word of God with God's Holy Spirit in you because you've looked at the source, you've reflected on the source, you have the result that God has given you insight into your day and into your industry and into loving people, and you take it with you because the Word of God is not chained. They might say, don't bring your book in here, but if you hide the book in your heart that you will not sin against God, they cannot take that away from you. So what do we do? We sacrifice and endure to reach people that no one's reaching. That's what Paul was doing. He was suffering as a prisoner. But he was sacrificing. He was enduring to reach people that no one's reaching. And Paul writes this interesting thing in verse 10. He says, therefore, I endure what? I endure what? Everything. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. In other words, those are people who will be saved but aren't yet saved. In other words, Paul doesn't know who they are. You don't know who they are. I don't know who they are. But God knows who they are, and they will respond to the word of God. But right now, you don't know who they are, so our job is to share. Paul's saying, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And he sums it up by saying, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And I have heard people, a lot of people, over the years say this passage right there says that God will disown you if you ever deny him once. I'm going, you didn't read the rest of the Bible. You didn't reflect on any of it. This is not what that's saying. What he's saying is this. The only way that you will have committed the unpardonable sin, the only way that God would ever disown you, is if you spend a lifetime denying Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved. And God will say, by definition, as a judge, that is the way I provided salvation. But through your lifetime, you resisted it. You pushed it away. You denied it your entire life. And therefore, as a good judge, I have to judge you dead in your trespasses and sins. But God says, I've given you an entire lifetime. In fact, I'm slow in returning to earth because I don't want any to perish. I want all to come to salvation. That's the love of God. That's the patience of God. That's a God who says, I'll do whatever it takes to not have to disown you. I'll even stretch out my arms and die and take your junk upon me, all of it, and cancel it out. That's the love of God. Be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Remember it. Remember it in an ongoing way. Today we'll take communion and we'll take these elements and and we will remember Jesus Christ until either he returns and we go to meet him in the air 
or until we die and go to be with him. We will remember Jesus Christ in a regular, ongoing way. Why? Because we're forgetful people. Paul is even telling Timothy, Timothy, you remember Jesus Christ in an ongoing way. We're going to sacrifice and endure to reach people that no one's reaching. So we want to reach the nations. We do. We want to reach the internet audience. That right now there's somebody who clicked today on the internet and they're watching what we're talking about. It might be months from the day that we actually talked about this. But somewhere in the world they're watching something on Sun Grove in this sermon and they're hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And our heart is that the good news of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit would draw that person to salvation. That they would say yes to Jesus wherever they are in the world. We want to reach people in the nations. We want to reach people in the world. We want to reach the internet audience. We want to reach the people of Sacramento. We want to reach the people of Elk Grove. We want to reach people in the neighborhoods and in your classes and at the gym and on the fringe. Listen, the furthest out person at least deserves the chance to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and at least have the chance to decide whether to respond to that or not. Doesn't everybody deserve at least to have the chance? And there's a lot of invisible people in your life. There's invisible people in my life. So last night I'm in here. I come in uh, sometimes on Saturdays, and I'm just preaching through this, right? It's empty room, kind of crickets. Only people in the building are the custodians, and we hire a service. So these are outside people, but they've been here several years. And so we, you know, I, I interact with them. I know them. And, and, uh, and as I'm speaking here about this, I get this point last night. God's like, you need to tell the custodians about Jesus before you leave. Right? So I go find them. They get like vacuum things on. I tap them. Ah! I think they're alone in the building. And I say, hey, listen, can I take 10 minutes and tell you why I have hope? And they're like, yeah. And I said, listen, if, if, if taking time to have this discussion means you can't do the job that you need to do today, I, that's on me. We hire you. That is, that's on me. So you got, I'm not keeping you a minute longer than you need to be here. But I sit down with them and begin to talk, well, what's your background? And they would say, well, you know, our wives go to the cathedral or whatever, but we don't. And, and uh, Sunday we like sleeping in and we like hanging out. It's our time to rest and we don't really buy that. But some of them had some sort of religious background and, and they did that. And so I sat down with them and I began to just share with them. And I use what's called the bridge illustration. And you show like one side of the Grand Canyon and the other side of the Grand Canyon. Oh, this is my drawing. See, I cannot draw. This is a, my wife made me, by the way, between services, she's like, you need to take a picture of your picture <laughs> to show that you can't draw. So I, okay, so I can't draw, right? There it is. So I did us on one side and God on the other side. And there's kind of a canyon. You can't see it. But I just give this illustration that you could run as fast as you want. You might have the greatest jump of your entire life and you jump 40 yards out. Doesn't matter. You're not making it across the Grand Canyon. It's too big. I might run and get the best jump I think I have, but I trip on a rock at the edge and I bounce all the way down. The point is, whether you have a great performance in your life or a lousy performance in your life, none of us, apart from Christ, are good enough to get to God because we have sin. But Jesus created the bridge across the, cha the chasm. A perfect God who never sinned took our sin upon himself, died for it on the cross, and he bridged that gap. I'd love to tell you that right then those guys got down on their knees and just prayed to receive Christ. They didn't, but well, here's what I want you to know. Do you realize that before a person accepts Jesus as Lord, they typically have to hear the gospel seven different times in a myriad of different ways before they go, I get it. Yes, to Jesus as Lord. He is the only way to be saved. And my sin 
condemns me, and I know what it is, and I know my own motivation, and I've got to pour it out. So I can't tell you that they sat there last night and that they accepted Christ right there, but I don't know what their conversation with God was on the way home. They may not have done that between each other, but who knows as they're driving home on, on their own in the car, did they have a conversation with God? In fact, one of the guys said to me, he goes, yeah, my other boss, he actually told me something similar to this about my life. Again, a person needs to hear it multiple different ways. Who are the unseen people in your life that need Jesus? Who are the people around you who need him? So I want to just ask, have you believed in Jesus Christ and have you received him? It's both. You believe in what he did on the cross, but then you invite him in. He has hit the home run. He has hit every base. He knocked it out of the park. He ran all the way around, and he stops just short of the home plate. And he says, I've done everything. I've done everything to save you, but all you've got to do is come home. And you receive him. He's done it all but we respond to him. So let me ask you, if you're a believer in the room, are you a conceptual follower of Jesus Christ or are you becoming a fully devoted Christ follower? How do you do that? You go to the source. You reflect on it. You let the Lord give you insight into it. You remember Jesus Christ and you begin to walk in a vibrant, powerful relationship with the very words of God. You want a life on fire? Then actively interact with the Bible as the source. The means of understanding, the only way you're going to get it is to reflect on it in the way that God has wired you. The result of understanding is that God will make it clear to you. The practice of understanding is that you remember Jesus so that those who are lost can know and remember Christ and have relationship with him. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, thinking only about your own life. I just want to ask, if today is the day for you that you're saying, God, maybe I've been a fan a conceptual believer, but I've not been a follower of Jesus Christ. And maybe today you're saying, Lord, I surrender me. I'm going to follow you. And maybe some of you in this room, it's just today's the day for the first time you understood that Jesus died and wants to wash your sin away. Would you take that upon yourself? If you want to receive Jesus today, you believe you want to receive, then you pray a prayer to him like this, right where you're seated after me, to say, Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation wash all of my sin away. I believe you died on the cross, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. And today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.